And we are back. Uh, this is the Soul Samples Podcast, where we offer samples for your soul. I am your host, Lens Daniel, and I am with my wife and co-host, Sydney Daniel. And we're going to explore a series of broken events, or unfortunate events. Is that how they <laughs> the say it? Actually, but it's actually the series of brokenness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're trying to explore and get an idea of like these broken things in our society, but working them out through Jesus. And this week, we're going to talk about broken spirituality. And I think this one is a topic that is near and dear to my heart as a individual that partners with the church and is on supported staff of a church. There's a lot of um, real feelers and details and nuances to this conversation. So we are excited for you to join with us. Let's dive on in. So we're talking about spirituality and religion. And I don't know if you feel, well, I don't think you can relate all the way to me, but being on staff for a church is kind of an interesting spot. Because I am like the go-to spiritual person in my family. I am the moral compass. I am the person that prays for stuff. But also the professional Christian in my church. And so it's really awkward um, and really challenging. But I thought when we started this discussion, it'd be helpful to start like defining what spirituality and religion was or is mm-hmm. i think you looked up google definitions of both i did i did google okay um, what, did, what did google tell you uh so spirituality um the definition according to google says being concerned with the human spirit or soul okay and religion is the belief in and worship of a personal god or gods gotcha yeah that's an interesting way of defining it um i i think there's a lot of that that's true And I think there's some things I would tweak in like defining spirituality and religion. I think in like the modern context, if you were to stop someone on the side of the street and they had any like kind of, I don't know how you would even explain it. Most people, if they had like some faith of some sort, whether it's kind of some Zen Buddhism or Torism or Christianity or Judaism, some people are just not about this word religion at all you know what i'm saying they're kind of like we'll push it away and say yo i am not about like religion i'm into this relationship type of thing whether it's relationship with mother nature the cosmos god in the christian sense or whatever buddha you know what i'm saying religion seems to have this kind of weird effect on people mm-hmm. like a sense of averseness if that makes sense. I don't know. That's been your experience, like talking to people about spirituality and religion. Totally, yeah. I I think I was even hesitant uh, at one point in my life to say I was religious, right? I just felt like it had such a negative connotation to it. Um, and I didn't like it. Like, I didn't like thinking, I don't know, I felt like um, religion was, or being religious was associated with you know, in my mind with being, you know, close minded, um, mm. or, you know, just like being very like rules driven and yeah. not like relationship driven. And just that it feel like that was me. It's not what I wanted to represent either. You know sure. what I'm saying? So I feel like I was very hesitant to even say I was like religious, even though I 
I was, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, I think that's kind of a, a good point you bring. It's like, we don't want to claim or identify ourselves as a religious person, though you do religious things. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? As a Christian, you go to church, you go to meetings of the body, you read your Bible, you pray, whatever. And those things kind of identify yourself as kind of a religious person. That's challenging. But I also think it is accurate to say that you are a religious person, whether you like the moniker or not. And I think I was thinking about this like a couple weeks ago, is like as the generations have kind of gone, come and go, well, come and go, they're still alive. <laughs> the the levels or the the value kind of sets on institution which in our case like the institution of churches or institution of a mosque or whatever has gone down and so for the boomer generation they kind of fell in love with an ideal called like the community the the ceo business kind of style church where the 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 senior pastor was like the CEO and then he had you know delegated responsibility all the way down and so it ran more like a business than a church and it worked for that group that generation but when you get to to Gen Z they're a lot less kind of influenced by this way of church because they have a lot less trusted institution so seeing a big church a massive mega church just kind of yields out a bit of skepticism instead of just maybe a little bit more trust. And then you get to millennials who don't trust anything, and then Generation Z who come into this understanding of institution of a church, and it's like, oh, we never trusted it. So religion, I'm not about that. Relationship, I am all about. And so I kind of like did my own um, process and thought through like a good way of defining religion and relationship. And I think it's, the spirituality or not religion and relationship, but relationship and spirituality. Spirituality is kind of like the connection between the person and this like transcendent thing or something bigger than myself. And then religion tends to be the framework or the structure in which like this spirituality is kind of formed. And in many ways it's kind of like form, you know, yields to function or function yields to form. You need both to truly experience, you know, whatever religion or spirituality you're really getting at. And I had a a thought as I was like putting this together is like, so how, what is like growing up as like a kid? Mm -hmm. What was your like experience of church, religion, relationship, spirituality, that kind of whole pool of stuff? I think because as a kid, we get really, you know, strong first impressions. Yeah. That's a great question. Uh, what was my... I don't know. I I feel like when thinking about, like, religion and spirituality, like, um, growing up in the church, I think of... I, I think of, like, the prodigal son story. Yeah. And how you know in in the story you have a son who um like goes away with all of you know his inheritance which is just there's a lot there right um but then he comes back and there's a celebration but his older brother is very salty to say the least about it and um 
and and seeing how the father in the story you know responds to both sons and loves them both deeply I, I think I you know kind of thought of religion growing up as like the older son in the sense of like the one you right you kind of you do what you what's right but you're missing that relationship piece right like he 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 kind of felt like he was slaving for the father all these years um and and I felt like I was very much you know I needed to be aware of that like you know kind of growing up in my family I kind of gave myself the title of like being the good one right um the calm in between the storms is how someone described me um so I very much had this pressure on myself um yeah, to kind of follow the rules. But seeing that and seeing how when you are following the rules without like the, the, the heart behind it, without the relationships behind it, um, just seeing how detrimental that can be. And so in a sense, I was even kind of growing up, I was a little wary of, you know, being religious. Even though, again, I went to church every Sunday and I went to the devos and the midweeks and the camps and the dances mm-hmm. or whatever, right? Like, I was very much involved in, in the church. Sure. Um, but I was a little bit, even, yeah, I think even, like, in yeah in junior high and high school, I was very wary of, like, not wanting to be religious because I associated that with kind of like the the older son in the prodigal in the prodigal son story yeah that's an interesting kind of dynamic to play out as like a young person going to church all the time and kind of being aware of the story of the prodigal son and the young one kind of being the free-spirited i'm going to take my money and do what i want with Mm -hmm. it while the older one truly did what was right and was obedient but at a heart level was far from God and that we could all experience that being in the church context and that I think it's interesting because I think most people would say you did the right thing by sticking around in church even if your heart wasn't there but you were always kind of keenly aware that that could always be me that could always right. be the place I fall or the side I fall on like for me it was kind of different because I grew up going to church and I was very two-faced. Mm. Like, my experience in church was kind of like one way. And I would just kind of, you know, go there and experience God in some way, shape, or form. But go home and be a different person. So I was pretty hypocritical for, you know, a bunch of years going to church and growing up. It really never hit or landed or connected with me. But I think what I did, like, envy a lot of was individuals that were like, really connecting with God mm-hmm. you know like and it's kind of weird but I was super jealous of people that would like you know listen to the worship music and just like have their hands up and and be freely responding uh, to kind of the call of God through this worship music or just just like individuals that felt impacted by uh, the worship service because I would just kind of come at it very intellectual I would come out it come out it and kind of reduce it down to the simple like one liner at the end of the sermon and say I can do that and walk away which I don't think is completely wrong but I I wanted more and yeah. I think that's where for me the the spirituality kicking in becomes so much more important because even with the the older son and the and the prodigal son 
parable, what he was missing is, is life, the internal, like, fleshly, fleshy, emotional, desire-driven, affectional aspect of worship and aspect of religion. And I wanted that. And so I was like, well, I'm doing this every week and I'm hoping things change, but nothing changing. <laughs> nothing was really mm-hmm. changing. Um, uh, not at a, you know, internal level, not, you know, my behavior getting out of church was the, the same, you know, and so I, I wasn't growing or I wasn't changing. And so I thought I'm missing something, mm-hmm. you know, and so I think that's why I'm here today. It's kind of like doing a podcast about broken spirituality. One, it's like at a level from person to person, you know, from Sid's definition of like this relationship, personal relationship with a God or gods. That needs to be like changed and shifted because of the brokenness. But also at a big, you know, institutionalized church air quotes level, there's some some problems too. Yeah. And we'll dive on in more into this discussion of broken spirituality, and religion in just a second. All right, we're going to play a little game. And so, which one is religious? <laughs> I'm just like trying to like imagine like the game shows where the crowd like says it in unison. It's like, which one is religious? And which one is spiritual? And so you just... This is all your preference. There is no right, no wrong. Just go with your gut, honest, rapid fire, right? All right. Reading your Bible. It's just you. You Religious. Praying. Spiritual. Going on a walk with God. Spiritual. Silence and solitude. Spiritual. Listening to worship music. Religious. Dialoguing about faith. Spiritual. Sabbath. Religious. Getting discipling. Religious. Going to church. Religious. Working on convictions. Religious. Mm. Okay. Okay. Ah, that w- I didn't know that those were the questions. That was yeah exhilarating. Yeah, exhilarating. So a little rapid <laughs> fire. I think it just gives a, a little litmus test for what you see and what you perceive as religious or spiritual. I, I looked at them and I was like kind of along the same lines as you were. Like, I think the only one I would say, I think you said Sabbath was religious. I think I would have said Sabbath was spiritual, but I think it's spiritual after doing like study of Sabbath. So not necessarily like knowing it off of rip. You know what I'm saying? Right, like I feel like I haven't heard of the Sabbath outside of like a religious context. context, Oh, absolutely. That's why I kind of, I mean, I think, yeah, anyway, so. So I have a question for you just to continue this discussion. You are a Christian, correct? Correct. You, uh, so, as a Christian, mm-hmm. you're going to speak for all of Christianity. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, what do we do with all the other religions? What do you mean, what do we do? What like, do we how, do you, how do you understand the rest of the religions? How you interact with them? How do you, stuff like that. You know, how you navigate like the fact that other religions exist, exist, like I, and they operate, interact and, with and people they, who are a part of those religions. Yeah, just... sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm getting at. Interesting. Interesting. I think 
in a in a weird way, just like an honest yeah. answer, it's kind of like I I like don't <laughs> like really interact with people that have different religious backgrounds mm. and I don't really like you know, in a sense like think about it, which sounds bad you know, but I'm just like, yeah, no, my uh yeah, it's just very like limited, I guess, right. my like kind of Scope and, Absolutely. and you know and who I interact with sure. so it's kind of like yeah I just I I don't think about it or I don't like yeah yeah I don't know I mean I I, I think it's funny because if you were to kind of ask me that like you know I don't know like 10 years ago like Sydney in high school who was you know kind of just a, a new Christian and super you know fired up and pretty sheltered and I think I um would have tried to like convince people to be Christians who weren't Christians yeah um and now I would kind of view it more of like a like a dialogue and not necessarily trying to convince people right it's more so like I think there's a lot of commonalities between different religions so I think it's kind of more so for me you know engaging in conversations like talking about those commonalities and making those connections first without any kind of agenda because I think just naturally things will kind of you know what I'm saying come up and there's things that you learn from people and you can learn from one another um that's very valuable um and and also kind of like yeah like in a sense I'll, I'll let um Jesus and his teachings and his beliefs and practices and the way I live my life like in a sense kind of speak for itself I mean obviously you know I will still engage in conversation, but it's not like this, oh, I need you to, you know, I need to convince you that the way you're living your life is wrong and you need to be a Christian. Like, I don't think that's really my mindset. I just don't think that that's, that has proven detrimental in the past, right? Thinking of all the hurt that Christianity in particular has inflicted upon. And I don't know when I say Christian, I mean like the, the brokenness, right? The broken religion, the broken spirituality. Um, you know, I think of, you know, colonialism and, and war and things that have been, you know, started all like, because they say of like religion and because of their belief in, in God and in Jesus, um, I think has been, was one reason why being religious and religion just kind of leaves such a bad taste in people's mouths, you know? Um, yeah, I'm sorry. That was a, that was very, <laughs> that wasn't very coherent. Um, so what, okay, so to answer your question, right, I guess the way of my life, I don't really interact with a lot of people who mm-hmm. have different religious beliefs than I do. Yeah, I, I don't know if I had thought about it much um, until rather recent. Uh, I think I, in many ways, I kind of just stuck to like what I'm doing mm-hmm. um, and who I'm like running into because I think it is easier to kind of simplify things on Christian terms but if there are other religions and there are and in many ways like offerings of this truth um, as a Christian what is kind of my role when interacting with other religions and other spiritualities Um, and I find like today like moseying through this and pondering this a lot more is to honor the truth kind of what to what you're saying of the commonalities in, you know, Christianity. In some ways, if you follow Christianity, then we do have, in some sense, a monopoly of connection, Mm -hmm. spirituality, and religion, right? Um, That is just 
kind of something you have to honor um, as a Christian. But at the same time, you do honor what everyone else is doing Mm -hmm. and their contributions to society, good, bad, or indifferent. And I think sometimes it's easier to just flat out negate, Mm. you know, these Mm -hmm. other religions, like you said, and create some tension between these groups instead of it being kind of a community full of dialogue and building each other up and truthfully and honestly trusting and looking like Jesus is probably what's most needed in those relationships when you interact with them. It gets me to be thinking about the Samaritan woman Mm -hmm. in John chapter 4. Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 to give you a little background. Jesus is leaving um, uh, I think he's leaving another Jewish festival um, in chapter three. He has an interaction. He has a, a really long conversation with Nicodemus in the dark. And mm-hmm. so he's traveling through and he could have not gone to Samaria, but he goes to Samaria and he's tired. He sits at the well and meets a woman. And now this woman is going to get water at the well because, it, well, at the middle of the day, because it's kind of a time where she wouldn't have to interact with many other women that would be getting water at the well for the rest of the day. And that, for this woman, is intentional. Because uh, what we find later in the story is that Jesus discovers, or more so reveals, that he knows her history of being with uh, five husbands. And the, the man that he's with is also, the a man he's with is another person that's not her husband and the truth is, this woman, in its kind of modern, not modern, but uh, Middle Eastern context, is the victim. Because she would not be the one to divorce people. Yeah. Men kind of had the dictation on divorce. So she was either divorced or was widow, widower four, five, six times. Wow. Right? Wow. And so she is like struggling. But she's still not accepted in her community, and that's why she goes in the middle of the day to get water. Mm-hmm. She draws from the well. Jesus is there and has one of the most profound conversations where he offers her water, even though Jesus asks for her to give him water. It's kind of this weird play back and forth with this woman. And this woman's pretty quippy. She's pretty on her feet with a mm-hmm. lot of her, her dialogue. And I, I want to pick it up in verse 19 because I think it's telling us a lot about religion and spirituality and the person obviously jesus speaking the most spiritual and religious person to ever live says in verse 19 sir the woman said i can see that you're a prophet our ancestors worshiped on this mountain so the samaritan woman is talking about the samaritan people Mm -hmm. uh, again more background and context the samaritan people were kind of known as traitors because they like left israel essentially the israelite people and then like kind of married into Gentiles. And so they're kind of half Israelites, half Jewish people, and half Gentile. And so the Samaritan kind of ethnicity is kind of created there. And so he's, she's saying, the lineage of my people, they worship at this mountain, the mountain of Gerizim. You can look it up. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans will worship what you 
You, you Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am he. I think this is like a super like cool like dialogue. Because when we think about worship, either worship of other religions or worship of the you know, I think it's I don't know how many thousands of different denominations within our Christian like context. Mm-hmm. Jesus is like, well, you guys, you know, worship in Mount Gerizim. We worship in Mount Zion in Jerusalem. But there'll be a day where it's all about worshiping in spirit and in truth. That's what worship is all about. That's what religion and spirituality is. We are what we worship. A Buddhist or someone that's into, you know, crystals or Mother Nature. But truly, a Christian, we are what we worship. If we're worshiping Jesus, we ought to look like, act like, function like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I think what's profound about this, and this is what gets to the broken part, is the problem with our religion is not necessarily that we don't have Jesus at the center or God at the center or the Bible itself and reading the right translations. I don't think it's it. I think when I became a Christian, like I had a view of Jesus that I kind of imported from my own story, my own background being black and an immigrant. Like it shapes Jesus in a specific way. And I think the problem that makes religion, especially Christianity, so broken, which is about Jesus, is that we start to shape Jesus in our own image. Yeah. Imagine like a sculptor, like we start to make him look like us. So he has the same motivations as us. Mm-hmm. He has the same dreams as us. His visions, his goals are the same as ours. And then we get mad because our version of Jesus doesn't look like the other person's version of right. Jesus. And so then comes this natural conflict. Mm -hmm. For the Samaritans, we have a Samaritan version of the Messiah that's coming. But he's coming to Mount Gerizim because that's where we're at. In Jerusalem, oh, the Jews are looking for a specific kind of warrior, David-like king that's going to just mash the Romans and then give us salvation. Neither of those things happened because they didn't have the right version. They shaped God in their minds, the incorrect way. And the same thing with us, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We shape him in whatever way we like thinking makes sense. Yeah. Does that like relate? You connect? You feel it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think that's a great way to kind of break down, you know, one of the ways that, or one of the reasons why, you know, Christianity and religion and, and spirituality you know, 
it's just it's broken right and I think that brokenness I think you totally yeah I think you named it where it's like we are instead of being created in God's image we are creating it's the reverse right we're creating God in our image and and that's and and that is the that's the brokenness right Mm -hmm. that's the disconnect right Mm -hmm. because Christianity and spirituality in its unbroken form, right, kind of goes hand in hand. Because Jesus, like, if you kind of go off the definition that we talked about, like, spirituality mm-hmm. being, like, concerned with the human soul, like, yeah. that's what Jesus was all about, right? Was, like, the, was was people and their, and their souls and, and, and wanting to, you know, give folks an opportunity to know God personally and intimately and and he was concerned for the human soul. So it really does. Religion... Christianity, spirituality, like it goes hand in hand. But the reason why there's this disconnect and this brokenness is because we are, like you said, we are creating Jesus to fit, you know, our ideas. And I think we're all guilty of it. I don't think that's just one person or one side of, you know, these different opinions. Like I I think it's, I think we all are are guilty of it if we're not. We have to be very diligent and very careful. Yeah. And that's why it's so powerful and profound that jesus says it's not going to be at this mountain or this mountain anymore it's in spirit it's in truth yeah it's in the holy spirit that should empower us and energize us towards the right direction it's in truth what is the true image of god it's jesus himself worship that align yourself with that but we create churches in our own image Mm -hmm. and what happens is it gets people hurt. Mm. And that's our issue with the brokenness. Yeah. Not necessarily, it's not the ideal, it doesn't work efficiently or well, it's hurting people. Right, and that's the problem. And now that is something to be reconciled. Yeah. Church hurt is like one of the reasons I, I still like work on staff for a church. And uh, the, the heart of working for a church is you know you're not gonna make a lot of money and you're okay with that. And I'm totally okay with that. It's not the reality of, of doing something wasn't to make a lot of money. But truly knowing how many people that have been hurt by the community of faith, the church, you know, Jesus's bride um, is challenging for me. Mm-hmm. And it's it hurts me to see so many people hurt mm-hmm. by the church. There's kind of this broad brush stat that says 80% of people that identify as LGBTQ plus have experienced church hurt in their lives. So any avenue or connection that a church community can have with that community is broken. And we have to constantly rebuild it and put those pieces back together. Mm -hmm. And so this church hurt is embodied in so many ways, Mm -hmm. right? Some people will identify it as like, Stuff that happens within, like, the purity culture. Or just maybe relating as a young person in church to the older person in church. Mm -hmm. And not feeling heard. Or it's just maybe you've kind of gotten weird conversations about your doubts. And feeling like your doubts aren't welcome. Or feeling like if you have doubts, that your faith isn't as strong. And so church church comes in so many forms. Mm -hmm. And I think I want to like identify it, name it, and label it because the reality is 
the church is supposed to be the shining hope of the world. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's supposed to be ev- it's supposed to be everything because Jesus was everything, mm-hmm. right? I I don't want to get that mixed up. Mm-hmm. Like I am invested in a church community that may hurt people because Jesus was amazing yeah. and beautiful and speaks to my heart, heart profoundly today. And so Sydney as he actually has pulled up like a little like poem. It's it's a letter to the hurt people um in church or that have left the church mm-hmm. and it's one of the most beautifully written things I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and definitely shout out who, who wrote it. Because yeah. I think he or she should definitely be applauded. Because it, it's amazing. It yeah. sounds great. Yeah, I saw it on um, Instagram a while back. So it was posted at the end of January. Um, as count uh, Coco Gospels. C-O-C-O-A-G-O-S-P-E-L-S. Nice. I want to make sure, you know? So anyway, so this is the account, and the, the title of the um, of the letter, the poem, is For the Ones Who Left With Hurt. Um, and I will try my best to not uh, read the whole thing, you know, because I don't want to go on too long, but there's just so many, uh, so much good stuff here. So I just wanted to read um, part of that, because um, I think it just, it goes along so well with what, with what Lens is talking about. Um, so it starts off, it says, I am sorry. An apology whispered from both the other side and the middle because I am you. One wanting to be part of a body that hurts to remain attached to. One who severed myself to protect myself. A gruesome reaction to the surprising action of a group of people I thought would be better. But this moment is for you. It is to honor the hurt and wounds you carry from people who carry their own. It is to lament with you the ways in which unhealed wounds became weapons in your own story. I'm sorry we did not hold your grief with patience. I'm sorry we focused on the fixing when you just wanted space to feel, to be angry and not sin, to sin because you're angry and be handed grace and not rejection. I'm sorry for the idioms whispered in ignorance, the pray harder and choose joy that was prescribed for your battle with mental health. I'm sorry you were hit with the Bible verse when you just wanted to be held in your mess. I'm sorry for the lack of accountability. I'm sorry you were told your abuse was a result of your sin. I'm sorry for the secrets held in the name of holiness. I'm sorry our traditions were held higher than biblical truths. I'm sorry you had no place to go with the questions and then when you came with your questions you were asked to go. I'm sorry our words did not match our actions. I'm sorry in our own brokenness, we held space for lesser sins and rejected those who sinned, quote, too big. I'm sorry for all the wounds you don't have words for, for all the apologies unspoken and every wrong only God can account for. You'll always belong in the body and the unification of the body is never dictated by the opinions of man, but the authority of the Lord. Take the time you need, take the space you need, but this moment is for you. This moment is permission to take a deep breath and whisper to yourself, I'm not the only one. I belong because he says so, even when my wounds say I don't. And if your feet never touch the floor of a building labeled church, I pray you find the courage to let the builder of the church touch you. Wow, that's like incredibly impacting, heavy, uh, profound, 
uh, I think we've all like experienced some form of yeah. church hurt. And I think, and we have plenty of friends that have like experienced tremendous amounts of it. Um, and it's it just, ah, uh, it's sometimes unbearable to think about, but people are broken. And this is not to negate or to marginalize anything that's happened to anybody, but to clearly state a fact. And as a as the church, knowing that this tends to be the reality, we just and we must just we must be better. Yeah. Like let's not men, mince words. I think that's what Jesus would say. If we read the letters of Paul, he's constantly urging the church not to hurt each other, not to hurt your family members. And I think these stories that are woven into this poem so poetically and so kind of directly and profoundly is that thing. Like we messed up and we may lose people forever. Mm -hmm. God Mm -hmm. may lose so many children forever. Now, ultimately, everyone has their own agency Mm -hmm. and sometimes have to see past the reality of people hurting other people and see the God that truly loves them among that hurt. As difficult as it is, the journey is harder. And I hate that is that's the fact. Um, but truly, God can and will kind of heal those hurts and those wounds. But again, like the poem says, take your time. Mm-hmm. Like, find safe places, si- find safe spaces mm-hmm. to communicate all the hurt, the frustration, the pain. Invite other people in that you trust to dialogue with that yeah. and, and to really feel heard. Uh, to really uh, get that stuff out. Yeah. Reading this poem, and obviously we both know people that have been hurt, and we've been hurt ourselves. Um, what would be like your one-line message? Or not one line, what would be an encouragement you would say to churches that maybe um, contribute to hurt? I think the word that comes to mind is accountability. And I know that um, this was, it was it kind of spoken about a little bit in the poem there. Um, yeah, I think that's just, that's what I would say to churches, um, is that we just have to um, own up to the ways that we've hurt people. And even if it's not like, personal right like I personally didn't say this thing to a person or I personally didn't you know do this to this person but I I, I do need to recognize though that um, separate from my personal actions the community that I'm a part of um, has hurt people right like and so with that there is that accountability Um, there just needs to be that onus of like yeah just just simply saying I'm sorry like and can I you know, can I listen to you? You know, and then also being okay if people are like, no, I'll bump you, <laughs> right? Like, no, I don't want to talk to you or no, I don't want to, you know, I don't mm-hmm. want to talk. But I think that's the key of just like really like owning up to our stuff. Sure. Yeah, I, I tend to, I agree. It's the accountability. And it's like the, what you're talking about is like more of a collective accountability, yeah. right? It's, I didn't do it 
but on behalf of my church, I apologize. You know what I'm saying? And even if I'm, and also I want to like humble out though too. Like maybe I did do it too, right? Like so maybe it is right. personal stuff too. And I think it's both. I think it's like your own personal stuff. Absolutely. And yeah, no, 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 no. Absolutely. absolutely. I absolutely. Yeah. I think it's easier in our culture to own up to what we did, right? Like personally. Personally. Yeah. Yeah. Than it is for someone yeah. that that we're affiliated with, we're connected with. But I think the next step is being courageous enough to say hey in our church community we have to change yeah yeah. we have to shift these things we can't hurt people in this way or that way or another way mm-hmm. because the reality is that's what we've done as a church community like recently it's um ravi zacharias like who also he passed in i think it's may or um in the summer but like all these like you know, suits have come out or all these women have like um, come out to just say all of the things that were kind of just grossly sad and grossly just abusive, you know? And for a group of of people, um, some that knew and some that didn't, like there was no one in the chain of community not to just use this situation more of an example to be like, yo, this is wrong. Right. We, someone needs to to out this. And again, it's not to to overanalyze the situation, but to draw a solution. Because when we are accountable, why couldn't we <laughs> be courageous? Mm-hmm. And before we needed to be accountable, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's that's it. Stops the hurt to, from continuing. Yeah. You know, until it gets kind of to this kind of, you know, critical mass sense of hurt. But I, I think for me, I look at a lot of the stories I hear in the poem and I think what would have happened to these people if someone had walked with them? Mm-hmm. Uh, that they didn't expect certain specific answers in their faith or... They weren't here to place blame on sin yeah. or to, to, to give them a quick fix for things as complex as mental health or trauma. Right. What if someone just had walked with them step by step yeah. from point A to point B, to, from point B to point C, and taken this kind of pilgrim's journey to the destination they needed to be? Mm-hmm. And some days it would have been five, six steps forward, but three or four steps back the next I think truly walking with people, obviously it creates intimacy, but also it it provides a sense of patience and a space of trust. Like I think about that often when people are hurt by the church. What if someone walked with them and kept them in? And I think I'm equally sometimes frustrated by kind of the big C church Mm -hmm. that then wants to get riled up for sometimes, in my opinion, like unnecessary like persecution that they receive for saying things, you know, not lovingly and gently and kindly as Jesus would call us to share grace and truth together or truth and love together, as Paul would say, Mm -hmm. speaking the truth in love. Instead, Christians love to shoot you know, kind of this truth right directly at the sinner, air quotes. Mm-hmm. And then when we, you know, get 
censored on Facebook or Twitter or whatever space we're sending all this stuff at, it's our persecution. Like, look at what we're getting persecuted. But I look at the scales of how many over history, you know, how many people, groups, the church has hurt. We, I will say we, because I am a Christian. We have hurt. Yeah. From colonialism, like you said earlier, to a bunch of, you know, sexual abuse scandals, to, uh, you know, to chattel slavery, like, Mm -hmm. to, you know, the Crusades. Like, all of this was in the name of Christianity, this religion itself. This is the hurt that we, honestly, for me, I feel like I carry in the sense of I want to be accountable because we can do this again. Mm. And not not we can do this. We are doing this again because wow. it's happening in other places in yeah. different ways. And that in my local church, I need to be like the prophet Isaiah or Jeremiah and watching out for this, for certain sins mm-hmm. of either, you know, weird power dynamics or weird communication, whatever. Mm-hmm. I want to protect the church and its splendor and its beauty as Jesus's bride so that no one else gets hurt. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's being honest and truthful and being courageous in the midst of it. Jesus has a word for these hurt people. In Matthew 11, verse 28, I like the message version of this, and I'm really not a message guy, just for the record. But... In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. Mm -hmm. I will show you how to take real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Mm -hmm. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. And keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is the word of Jesus through the message version and through the biography of Matthew. But this is, I think, what people that are hurting need to hear. Mm -hmm. And what our circles tend to start to do when we see church hurt or we're absorbing religion from a young age and we're growing out sometimes of the weird kind of traditions or the cycles or the rhythms of things, especially around our age, yeah, we start to like deconstruct. Mm-hmm. It's a buzzword, deconstruct. And that deconstruction is just very plainly peeling off the constructed buildings of just where our faith has grown out of. Mm -hmm. Like we're riding on training wheels and we're like 18, 19, 20 years old on a bike. It's wild. Take it off. Yeah. Yeah. Unhook them. It's time. It's time. (laughs) But some of that is initiated by church hurt. Some of that is initiated by things that seem to be an open and shut case maybe doctrine that seems to be open and shut case that maybe needs to be explored more deeper on biblical terms. 
this is kind of the deconstruction a lot of my friends have gone through or are going through and I've gone through is we're peeling back things all the way, to, stripping things down to the foundation, the good foundation of Jesus himself trying to worship him in spirit and in truth and reconstructing something different. Mm -hmm. It's scary. It's scary. Yeah. But deconstruction is getting a bad rap. Mm. Wouldn't you say that? Yeah, I would say that. But right, but it's not, but it's not bad. I think even kind of what you're saying, I think it's something, honestly, it's something to be expected. Right. In the sense of like, right, like before we were using training wheels and there comes a time when you take the training wheels off, right? Like what was helpful for me at 15 or what I needed to kind of learn the kind of, you know, structures that I needed to be in place then, it's very different sure yeah. now being 26 right like so it's i think that is like it's not something to be feared as yeah. it is um and i would say like so this sounds like kind of weird like it's not something to be feared and it's also scary and it's also hard and it's also good yeah that's a that's a very great way of explaining it's not something to be feared like a foreign entity right. like a threat right but for the one that is experiencing it and going through it there's a lot of fear mm -hmm. because it's uncharted territory it's tough it can be tough it's tough you have to figure out and discern with wisdom what needs to stay in my faith what needs to go mm -hmm. what does my life of faith look like now and does it have any implications to what church community I'm a part of today? Right. Or do I have to rethink that? Now, truly living and worshiping God in spirit and Jesus in spirit and in truth is entrusting that this process is done with like Jesus at the center of it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things I really profoundly enjoy about who Jesus is is that he constantly is calling us to consume him yeah. more than anything else. I am the bread of life. John chapter 6. I came from heaven. Life gives you bread from the... Life gives you life. Bread gives you life <laughs> from the inside out. Yeah, I messed yeah. that up three times. <laughs> from the inside out. He wants us to look and feel and be like him. Yeah. Like Matthew 11 is saying, like, walk with me. Work with me. That is what deconstruction <laughs> is. You're kind of walking with Jesus slowly examining this spiritual building that was your faith and you're building something new, fresh, more sustainable. Yeah. And and if you think about it, that's really what you know, that's what God's been about since day one is that partnership right. with us. Right. right? You see that with Adam and Eve where it's kind of like, Okay, yeah, continue this good work that I've started, right? God created this world and and he said it was very good, right? He rested because he was like, yep, this is enough. Yeah. And I am, you know, and I want humans who are created in my image to partner alongside, right? Partner alongside me and, and continue this good work and continue going forward. So again, yeah, like deconstruction and then reconstruction, right? I think that's an important second kind of step is, it, again, it's, it's, it's good, right? I, again, I, I think we get very nervous about it, but I really do think it has, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think what I don't want people to miss is as you deconstruct, as a person deconstructing, make sure you, you're consuming a lot of Jesus and yeah. not allowing just cultural norms mm -hmm. or church norms 
to influence what your deconstruction looks like. Mm -hmm. Consume a lot of Jesus because that's what we're here for. Our religion is about Jesus. It's Christianity. It's not churchianity. Mm -hmm. It's not postmodernism. It's not any of that. It's, it's Christianity. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, for those watching people deconstruct, do not look at their process of thinking like a threat. Right. And especially for Christians, I don't know why there's this tendency to, to identify threats and then have an affront right. kind of an right. attack for it. No, this is something to help disciple people through. Yeah. People are just bringing their doubts and working them out through Jesus. Yeah. What better way to live life? Mm -hmm. What better way to, to, to do things if not be in the community of believers working out doubts? Like, isn't this what it's all about? Yeah. If there was no space for doubting Thomas, right. like who eventually became a missionary, I think, uh, I think it's, it's either India or Africa. Because he like did some crazy good things. Yeah. But if Jesus didn't meet him in his doubts and said, hey, do what you need to do mm -hmm. to work out your doubt through me, yeah. which he literally put his fingers through Jesus, right. if you think about yeah. it. Yeah. I think that's a profound thing. But what we do in the church is kind of just like, oh, it's a threat. We want to push it out to the margins yeah. instead of bring them in closer. Yeah. And I think, like you said, Sid, we have to then reconstruct. We, we can reconstruct something better. Yeah. More beautiful than the first building. Way better than the deconstruction process. That's the part where we get excited because our, 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 our faith gets to go in a fresh direction, a profound direction. And I think this is what spirituality and religion is. It's not a static process of I go to church once or twice a week. I pay my tithe. I read my Bible and pray every day. And that's it. That God is, is kind of calling us to fully integrate all aspects of our life. Loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. He's not okay with just getting little parts of your life, but fully integrating it. And I think that deconstruction process for me was like, oh, I want to be holistic with my faith. Yeah. I want my faith to matter in my checkbook as much as it matters out on the, the sidewalks. Yeah. I want it to yeah. matter in, in the realm of politics to a certain degree as it matters so much in my relationships on a day-to-day. -day. Mm -hmm. Without integration, without it being holistic, we, well, we, we have, in my opinion, an ineffective faith. Mm. But that's not what he wants. Yeah. So as we process the brokenness of like spirituality and religion, as we try to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth, as we deconstruct safely and reconstruct safely within the community of believers while we're consuming a lot of Jesus, we hope... As a church, we can stop, you know, the hate or the hurt yeah. that a church sometimes can provide. Yeah. All right, being true to our name, we have some soul samples for you guys. Hopefully the episode was super helpful for your souls and guiding you guys through the brokenness of spirituality and religion. Um, I have a, a recommendation for a book. It's called Jesus as Philosopher um, by um, Jonathan Pennington. Super short book, easy read. 
I think I finished it in a couple weeks. Definitely highly suggest that book. It's about Jesus kind of um, being a philosopher in his day and and kind of Jonathan Pennington kind of relates them and with, well, it relates Jesus with the kind of philosophers of his day and how Jesus offers the same philosophy through Christianity or a similar kind of philosophy, but more impactful through Christianity. And so my soul sample recommendation song to jam to is Jared James, I Do. It's off of his, I think it's an EP he just came out with, with the gold cover. Super, super good. Super, super dope. What do you got, Sid? I have this um, gospel song by Kirk Franklin called Love Theory. Came out in, I think, in like 2019, so it's pretty recent. Um, that's my, yeah, that's my jam. I think it's, uh, it really doesn't embody for me, like, when I think of what, like, religion and spirituality would look like when it's not broken, mm-hmm. right? It's like this. It's this song. It's, yeah, Love Theory by Kirk Franklin. All right. That is the episode for the week. Peace and love. We'll catch y'all next time.